0: Simply read those questions and answers for us. So um, let's set the context for our discussion and uh, later on, but also the preaching on baptism by Matthew chapter 28. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the scripture reading. Dave, you come forward at this point. just.
1: Okay, so we'll start with it. Question answer 69. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19, which we just read. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16:16. 16, 16. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. In Titus 3, verse 5 and Acts 22, verse 16. Question, Lord's Day 27, question answer 72. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all our sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away the dirt from our body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water.
0: All right, so uh, that's a lot of questions and answers, and there's a lot of words there, Um, but typically what we do in a catechetical series, we just kind of condense things and get get at the heart of what our catechetical document is is talking about and also interact a little bit um, with uh, the scriptures before us, which this afternoon is Matthew chapter 28. So, you know, we're going to consider this afternoon just the matter of baptism. Maybe just, um, what is baptism? Um, We can never assume in the church that we all have just this inherent understanding of the basic doctrines of the faith. Um, That's not to say that um, were unintelligent or anything like that. But um, you know as a human being, you can learn things uh, and easily forget them or lose some of the finer points. And this is why it's good to go through a catechetical series as, as, a, as a way of learning new teachings if we've never heard these teachings before or at least to refamiliarize ourselves with certain of the details that have become fuzzy um, over time. So we're going to look at baptism. And, um, you know... Uh, i would dare say that that uh, most of us here maybe all of us at least most of us have uh, at one point in our lives witnessed a baptism and for a lot of us we've we've witnessed multiple baptisms and we know how that goes right at a certain point in a worship service usually in the morning here that's when we schedule our baptisms and we're going to be scheduling i think a number of baptisms in the next couple of months but we, we kind of know how this goes. At one point, the pastor will announce that there's going to be a baptism. He mentions the name of the person who's going to be baptized. And then a form is read. And those forms are important because they explain in a very basic way for us what baptism is all about. And once the form is read, either this person who has come to faith in Christ but who is yet to be baptized will come forward, or... A lot of times in the case of this church, you have Christian parents and members of this church who've had a child, and they bring the child forward for baptism. So let's just say it's a couple of parents with a child, and they come forward with this child, and then we have what's called a baptismal font, and they stand there, and then what will happen is the pastor will address certain questions to them, usually three or four questions depending on what church you're a part of, and then the parents will Uh, answer those questions with their yeses. We do, they say. And then, after that, baptism is administered with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you've heard this many times here, where the parents will bring forth a child, and mention the name of the child, and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, We've experienced that before, but let me ask you this question that you just you just uh, answer in your own quiet way at this point. What just happened there in that baptism? What was going on? And fundamentally, what is baptism? Okay, so Matthew, let's begin with Matthew chapter 28, and then I want to get into the, the basics of uh, of the catechism. So in, in Matthew chapter 28, that's an important passage because As we we confess together, do you remember when when Dave read the question and answers, there is one that dealt with two places in the New Testament where Christ himself institutes, he puts into place baptism. One is Mark chapter 16, last chapter of the book of Mark, and then we have the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and that's what we're considering here. And in Matthew chapter 28, we find a very, I think, familiar passage um, for the church and also particularly for those who has a sem- have a sensitivity to the mission of the church. And that's Jesus' great mission commission. And the mission commission goes like this. Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, He says, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, just just, um, a little something I want to bring here, just for the sake of interest and accuracy. From the standpoint of the original language, when, when Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations, this literally reads like this to his disciples. He says, Having gone, make disciples of all nations. Now that's an interesting point because what Jesus is really saying to his disciples is you've already bring, you've been bringing the gospel of the kingdom to people around you primarily to the Jewish community. But now what I want you to do in this commission is I want you to continue to bring the gospel but bring it beyond the Jewish community. I want you to bring it to the nations of this world. And I want you to do three things as you bring the gospel to the nations of the world. Number one, I want you to disciple them. I want you to make them apprentices. I want you to make them followers of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, basically, if they're going to be good disciples of Christ and informed disciples of Christ, you've got to teach them. You have to teach them. This is why, by the way, we go through a catechetical series in the afternoon service so that we can be discipled in Christ, so that we can be avid and informed disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. And then, secondly, or thirdly, after Jesus says, I want you to disciple them and I want you to teach them, he says, I want you to baptize them. I want you to baptize them. Which then raises the question, okay, um, really, what is baptism? Again, what is baptism? If, if, Jesus, if Jesus institutes it, it must be important, right? So, let me, let me state, on the basis of the Bible and the basis of the Catechism, and here's where we're going to condense things. Let me mention five things about baptism. Number one, baptism is commanded by Jesus. He institutes it, he puts it in a place, and he says, disciples, go. It's a command. And he says, by way of command, he says, I want you to baptize. And it's exactly what we see, that as the the disciples are bringing the gospel to bear among the nations of the world, people are coming under the influence of that gospel, they embrace that gospel, they believe it, and then what do we find? They're baptized. We find a number of instances of that, particularly in the book of Acts, which records the expansion of the church through the work of the disciples and the Holy Spirit. And we also read on a couple of occasions in the Bible where once you have individuals who are converted to Jesus Christ, not only they themselves, but their households receive the sacrament of baptism. I'll deal more with that um, the next time we meet regarding child baptism, Okay, household baptism. So first of all, baptism is commanded. Secondly, baptism, as we saw last week, is a sacrament. It's a sacrament. That means, if you were here last uh, Sunday afternoon, a sacrament is a sign and a seal. That is, it points to something. It also is a guarantee and it's a confirmation of something. What is that something? It's the promise of the gospel. The promise is what? And this is what baptism points to. And by the way, the Lord's Supper points to this as well. The promise is this, that if you and I come to the end of ourselves and we recognize our need, and if we deal with our sin and we confess our sin in the name of Jesus Christ, if we repent and we turn away from it, and in addition to that, if we embrace Jesus Christ in faith as the one who alone can bring us to God, then the promise is fulfilled, and that promise is this, that our sins are forgiven And we are reconciled to God. That's what baptism points to, the promise of the gospel. So, baptism is commanded by Jesus. It is a sacrament. Third, it involves an element. An element that we can see. Because if you remember last week, we saw that a sacrament is a holy, visible sign and seal. So just as there are physical elements in the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, so too there's a physical element in baptism, and it's water. And I think um, it's important for us to see the element, to see it visibly. So oftentimes, let's say if it's an adult convert or if it's a child, you oftentimes see that I put my hand into the baptismal font, and then you a lot of times I will not just sprinkle a little bit, but I will pour on the child because it's important to see that element because of what that element points to. And that's the washing away of the blood through the blood of Jesus Christ and the washing away of indwelling sin through the working of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, the element, the physical element, is water. Fourthly, baptism is not only a physical element, it's not only commanded, it's not only a sacrament, but also what it is. it is, it is administered to adult converts, but also the children of adult converts. And that's all I want to say at this point, because we're going to deal with that in a couple of weeks. And then finally this, most fundamentally, baptism is a mark. It is a mark that is placed upon us that we indeed belong to God. That we belong to Him. Just as Old Testament circumcision pointed to the fact that that child who was circumcised is different from the children of the nations of the world, so too circumcision is a pointer and a sign and a confirmation that that child is a child that's set apart to the Lord and belongs to him. Those five things. Basic teaching on baptism. In reality. Um, to get away from these five things. Let's, let's deal with that mark. That God places upon. Us in baptism. Think of it. Think of it as. Um, if I may put it this way. And, and I don't know if you were looking at the, at the screen. Before the worship service. You were looking at the title. Of the sermon but it's called an invisible tattoo. Think of baptism as uh, an invisible tattoo. You know um, some people have tattoos. I think some of you have tats, maybe they're on your arm or your leg or wherever, right? And the thing is with a tattoo, um, every tattoo tells a story. So a lot of times, if, if I go to a restaurant and um, you see tattoos more today and I get a server with a tattoo, I usually, if, if it's a female server, I always say, hey, I see you got, a, you got a tat on your arm. What's the story behind that? Just to enter in kind of a conversation with her. And there's, oh, they always have a story, always, right? Well, there's a story with the invisible tattoo of baptism. And that story is this. It's a story of God's grace working in our lives. And it's expression that God's grace is upon us and he has marked us as his own. But here's the thing. It's a tattoo that you can't see. It's a durable tattoo. I mean, some people people get like what they call the permanent tattoos, but they still fade over time. And a lot of times people get tattoos and, I don't know, they're ink or something like that. But the ink always fades. And, you know, after two, three weeks or a month, you can't see it anymore. Not with baptism. Baptism is a kind of invisible tattoo that stays with you and remains with you. Think of it in this way. Um, to give us, a, a, as I sometimes say, a little bit of a breather here, when um, when Joy and I lived in Montreal uh, in the late '80s, uh, we lived in a Jewish neighborhood and um, there are a lot of wonderful uh, bakeries in this Jewish neighborhood, and not on Saturday, that was a Jewish Sabbath, so it was a very conservative neighborhood, so all the stores were shut down on the Sabbath on Saturday. But usually on Mondays, on my day off, I would go to a local Jewish bakery, and I remembered very distinctly one time going to that bakery, and there were a couple of older Jewish women behind a counter, and then behind the Jewish women, there was a there was just a display of all kinds of breads and then you could look at them and say, oh, I would like that one, could you get that one for me? So I did that. So I went in there and got, had my eyes set on a, a nice dense rye loaf of bread. And so I went in there and I said, um, I would like that rye bread, please. And so she, this older lady, she probably in her 70s, I would say, or 80s, she, she turned around and she reached for that rye bread. And as she did, I could see numbers on her arms. Now, we, we, we read about those kinds of things, but I don't know if you've ever witnessed that yourself, but I still remember she had, like, series of around six, seven, eight numbers, and they looked kind of greenish-black, and they had faded over time. But what did that tattoo point to? There's a story behind that. That tattoo, that tattoo pointed to the fact that she, at one point in her life, maybe in her teens or 20s or 30s or whatever, at one point she belonged to the Germans. She belonged in a German concentration camp. Well, so too, in baptism, God places this mark upon us that displays the fact that we belong to him and that we, in particular, belong to the God of the Bible, a God who is one God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why when, let's say, when children are brought forth for baptism and baptism is administered, it's administered in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just in light of what Jesus says here. He says, go make disciples of all nations. And he says in the institution of baptism in Matthew 28, baptize them in the name of what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A true baptism is always done in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is why it's a little bit of a aside, maybe some of you are thinking this, but um, uh, typically what many Reformed churches will do is they will recognize the baptisms of those who have been reared in Catholicism. Right? Do you know that? A lot of times, um, people kind of go, "Well, why, why would we do that? Why would we recognize a baptism Roman Catholic Church?" And the reason for that is because while we differ in many substantial ways with the Roman Catholic Church regarding particular doctrines, we do stand with the Roman Catholic Church in their formulation of the Trinity—that we share with them. So, when that, chi- when that child, let's say, is baptized in the Catholic Church in the name of the Triune God, we accept that baptism. And then what happens when a Catholic would come here, let's say, and belong to this church, we would require um, a profession of faith from them, uh, a profession rooted in the Christian doctrines as articulating our confessional standards. In case you might be wondering, but that's just a little bit of an aside, one of many questions that could be posed regarding, regarding baptism. But I want to get back to this, that when a person is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this is something I want you to understand because it has to do with a matter of comfort. When a person is baptized, what's what's really being said is that that person receives the mark of ownership and blessing from God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. So what are we given from the Father? What are we assured of from the Father in baptism? This is what we're assured of. The Father is saying to us in our baptism, I am your God, and you are my child. You belong to me, and I belong to you. You are mine, and I promise to love you, and I promise to care for you, and I promise to provide for you, and I'll never let you go. When you take hold of the promises in your baptism and you profess genuine faith in Christ, the Father says, you belong to me now. You're reconciled to me. I love you and i never let you go. You ever think about that? It's said that the great reformer Martin Luther, when he experienced difficulties in his life, and when he was, when he was hounded for his faith and his life was on the line, he said, But I am a baptized child, and I belong to my God, and He belongs to me, and He has promised to care for me, and even if I should give my life for Him, He will never let me go, but I'll always be with Him, now and for all eternity. You know, um, when you go through difficult times, maybe in light of the sermon this morning, difficult time in marriage. Or maybe um, difficult times, and and just uh, maybe the loss of a spouse, or financially difficult times, where you wonder if you're going to be able to pay the bills, and these kinds of things. When you go through difficult issues in your life, do you ever think to yourself, or do you ever say to yourself, "Ah, but I'm a baptized child of God." I think probably a lot of us, probably, maybe you do, but I think a lot of us don't. I think we think of our Father's love for us. We think of the Father's promises to us and these kinds of things. But I want you to think about this next time you go through difficulties. Think, ah, but I'm a baptized child of God. He has placed my mark on me and he has promised me that through faith in Christ, he will never let me go. Think of your baptism. But very quickly, You know, we're baptized not only in the name of the Father, we're baptized in the name of the Son. And in our baptism, we are promised that when we repent and we believe in Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away through His blood and we are reconciled to God. But here's an interesting thing. In the Heidelberg Catechism, what we also see is that there's another washing that goes on. A lot of times when we think of baptism, we think, oh, it points to the water and baptism points to the washing away of my sins, through the blood of Jesus. But there's another washing that the Catechism brings out and the Bible brings out as well. And that's the internal washing of the Holy Spirit. That, that ongoing indwelling sin that we struggle with throughout our lives and we have the promise of the Spirit that through faith in Christ, He's going to help us to deal with that un, un, uh, indwelling sin. And He's going to help us to put away gradually that indwelling sin. And He's going to help us to fight the good fight of faith in our life and persevere in the faith. That too is a beautiful thing. So let's, let's remember that, that when we are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there is there's a, there's a lot of beauty to that. And there's a lot of assurance to that. And there's a lot of comfort to that. And I, I want to say this one final thing. Most of us here um, were baptized when we were very young. Most of us here don't even remember our baptism. But we do know that our parents brought us forward at some point and stood by a baptismal font and, and we do know later on in life, although we don't remember it at the time because we were very young, but we do know that our parents um, received a number of questions and they answered a number of questions. And one of the questions is these. And can you, put, can you put that up, please? All right. Here's the question that was posed to the parents. Do you promise, and this is good for us uh, in this series to kind of be reminded of some of the promises that we have made and some of you as parents have made regarding your children. One of the questions is this. Do you promise as parents to instruct your child in this doctrine, that is the doctrine of salvation, as soon as he or she is able to understand and have him or her instructed therein to the utmost of your power? And do you remember what you said as a parent? I've, in administering many baptisms, I never heard a parent just remain silent. Or say, "Nah, we've had a chance to think about that and we think, now we're not going to do this. No, you say yes. You say yes. And then, as a parent, what have you been doing for your child, hopefully? You've been instructing your child at home, hopefully providing a godly example for your child. Maybe you're sending your child to a Christian school for further instruction. You have your children catechized here. They are involved in our catechetical service in the afternoon and all of that. All of these things combine, don't they? to have our children then in time respond to those promises in their baptism. Now, one other thing. Some of you have been converted later, uh, converted later in life. And after you were converted to Christ and you placed your faith in Christ, then you were baptized. And you remember your baptism. And you probably remember some of the questions that were asked in your baptism. And one of those questions was this. Do you firmly resolve to lead a Christian life, to forsake the world, to willingly submit to the admonition and discipline of the church, should you become delinquent either in doctrine or life? And what was your answer? You said, yes, I will. Okay. Now here's the thing. I want to start drawing to a close here. Whether, Whether you were baptized years ago and you don't remember it, but your parents do, or if you were converted later in life and you receive the sacrament of baptism and you do remember the questions that were asked. Whether you don't remember as a child or you do as an adult, in baptism we come under the same obligations. What are, what's, what's our obligation? Our fundamental obligation is to respond positively to those promises that were given in our baptism. The promise, fundamental promise being what? That if we respond to the promise of our baptism to embrace Jesus Christ in faith and also walk with him, observing all that he commands, living for him and loving for him, or loving him, then we will receive what is promised in the gospel. And that's the blessing and the smile of God and blessing in this life as well as eternal blessing, well, in the life to come. I mean, listen, isn't, isn't this what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28? Listen carefully to these words. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this, teaching them now, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What's Jesus saying there? Teach them to respond positively to the promises of their baptism. Namely, to observe my commandments and walk with me all the days of their lives. Always, always, baptism is very intimately connected discipleship. Baptism is intimately connected with followership. You can't have one without the other. So, let me end with this. If, if you were here and you have never been baptized. I suppose a question, a good question to ask yourself would be this. Why is that? Why haven't I been baptized? And what that will require you ultimately to do is to move from baptism to what precedes baptism, and that's Jesus. And you really need to ask yourself the question, where am I at really with Jesus? Which really will require you to ask yourself the question, Not only who is Jesus, but what does Jesus require of me? And what Jesus requires of you, indeed all of us, is to come to the end of ourselves. Recognize our sin. Repent of our sin. Turn away from it and confess our need for Jesus Christ. Who's paid the penalty of sin and paves the way for reconciliation and a living relationship with his father. With God. Think about that. But also this, many of us have, have, been, have been baptized, and we receive the mark of God's ownership upon us. So let me ask you this. How are you responding to your baptism right now? Are you satisfied with the way that you're responding to your baptism? Jesus says that that all those who are baptized are called to observe all that I have commanded you. What does that look like in your life? Do you find that you're growing in faith? Do you find that you're growing in your love for the Lord and a desire to live gratefully and obediently before him? Or do you find that in a way you're kind of lukewarm or, or slip sliding away? Sermons on The sacraments and baptism are not merely intended just to instruct us, but to challenge us. And in this case, to challenge us with the question, how am I? How am I responding to and how am I living in light of the promises of my baptism? And may it be, by the grace of God, that we not only understand and appreciate our baptisms, but may it also be that God gives us the grace to respond to our baptisms with joy and with obedience and with gratitude. And with that having been said, um, we'll open up for a few questions in just a moment. Before we do, why don't you join me, if you would, for uh, a brief prayer. Heavenly Father, we think this afternoon about baptism... And we think of that time when we were given many wonderful promises in our baptism. The greatest promise of all, the forgiveness of sins through the washing of Jesus Christ and the ongoing washing of the Holy Spirit rooted ultimately in your love, O Father. That's a wonderful privilege, O Lord, to be baptized. And it's a wonderful privilege to know you. And to have been known ultimately in the first place by you. And so, Father, we pray that in light of this sermon, we would not only think about our own response to our baptism, but, Lord, that you would enable us and equip us to live ever more fervently, ever more zealously, and ever more consistently for you, in glory to your holy name and for our joy. And ultimately, Lord, too, as a witness to the nations around us of the blessings of belonging to you, O God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.